preparing for this week, I was thinking about that phrase, and I thought to myself, you know what? Stop running scared. Easy. I already hate running. Like, that video is like, that looks like a nightmare, running through all of Smithfield. I'm like, no thanks. Stop running scared, easy peasy. Stop being scared, maybe a different story. Um, So in week one of this series, oh, you know what? I forgot to do announcements. I'm too excited about my own message. Uh, Or I guess it's God's message. We don't have many announcements this morning. The first announcement is that next week, Kids Church opens up again. We are fully reopening, so all of our children will be allowed to go to their classes, not sit in with us boring old people. I mean, I know half of you are looking at me going, boy, you're not old. Uh, But we're having Kids Church start again, and then soon we are having our baptismal service, which is a great, great opportunity to take the next step in faith. You know, when you accept the Lord yourself, it's sort of a personal decision that you make for yourself. Um, But then in the Word, it says that Our job is not only to know that we have accepted God ourselves, but it's to proclaim it. And that's the opportunity that baptism gives us. Um, That's all of our announcements, easy peasy, Um, so we can get into the message. In week one of this series, we heard about having a spirit of fear, um, and Pastor Allen basically gave us a message on how we can deal with that. And the verse that he was referring to was kind of our, our hallmark verse for this series, which is 2 Timothy 1.7, which reads, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. And you know, growing up in church, in a Christian home, with Christian friends, doing Christian activities, I was homeschooled, man. There was only one option. Um, I've heard that verse many times. You know, in, in one way or another, I've heard that verse talked about or studied or anything like that. And I always kind of just thought, yeah, great. With God, our spirit does not have to be one of fear, that the Lord bolsters our spirit and gives us courage and gives us the ability to have a spirit of power, love, and self-control, which is true. That's not false. That is 100% true. That's what the word says. But, you know, in studying for this and in studying the word in general, I find that there is a lot to be gained from studying kind of differently, not necessarily just reading and analyzing what's in front of you, but one of my favorite things to do is to read multiple versions of the Bible in the same passage. Um, It's almost like, you know how when you watch the news, you don't want to just watch one news source because you're getting one bias and you're getting one version of the news. You watch lots of news sources and then you find the common truths and that's how you get uh, good, reliable news these days. It's kind of the same thing with the Bible, not saying that Certain books of the Bible have horrible bias that we're trying to ignore, but there are different ways of interpreting really, really old Hebrew and Greek text. Because imagine that, we don't have anybody around to directly translate for us how they were speaking thousands of years ago. So when I study something like this, especially a verse that's as foundational as 2 Timothy 1.7, I like to look at as many versions as I can. And as I was doing this activity, I noticed something very, very interesting about this verse. It actually has two common phrasings. And it's not just like there's one of each of these. There's multiple versions of the Bible that have each of these phrasings. The first is the regular one, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, exactly what we started with. The second one, though, says something a little different. It says, for God's 
spirit is not one of fear, but is one of power, love, and self-control. Or they capitalize the word spirit. So instead of saying, for God gave us a little s spirit, it says, for God gave us a big s spirit. Not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Which is comforting to me. Because when I hear this verse, sure, it's easy for me to say that I should rely on God to bolster my spirit when I'm fearful and that I should pray and all that good jazz. But I also know how I am when I'm in a horrible mood or when I'm really anxious about something or really afraid of something. It's not always easy for me to go to God honestly and humbly and ask for that power or that love or that self-control. And in those situations, we switch to the second phrasing of the verse. We switch to God's spirit, the capital S spirit that's been given to us. It's comforting to me to know that if my spirit fears, if I have this spirit of fear that's controlling me, it doesn't make God's word untrue. It means I'm relying on the wrong spirit. Because Lord knows mine will tremble and cower in a corner all day. But his, the capital S spirit, does not. Because he never changes. And if his word says that he is a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control, and that he's not a spirit of fear, then that is 100% true 100% of the time. How awesome is that? So last week, we heard about fear of failure. We started getting into specific fears and how that can cripple our actions and decisions if we fear failure. Well, this week, we're going to talk about a fear that's to be honest with you, almost a subset of fear of failure. But it's a little less tangible than what we talked about last week. This week, we are going to talk about the fear of rejection. This could be fear of rejection from a possible job, fear of rejection by another person, you know, romantic or otherwise. This could be fear of rejection from a group, you know, the, the classic you can't sit with us at lunch. It's not like you walk up to the lunch table with your tray all scared because one person at the table is gonna say no. You're scared of the group of people not accepting you. But what is rejection? If you guys have heard any of, any of my messages, you know I'm obsessed with definitions, so bear with me. We're gonna define to reject. To reject is defined as to refuse to accept, consider, submit to, take for some purpose, or use. So let's break that down. Refuse to accept. This could be very literal. They won't accept what you're giving them. Like, no, I don't want that Christmas present. I wanted something else. Or it could be they don't accept who you are. You're not accepted by this person. Refusal to consider. This is rejecting just the idea of talking to you. Uh, rejecting even the concept of being in some kind of communication. It doesn't even start because this person won't allow it. Refusal to submit to. This could be an employee, a child, anything like that. It's rejection of authority. 
Refusal to take for some purpose. Essentially, you come to someone with something. Maybe it's advice. Maybe it's something to help them. And they reject that based on your purpose in coming to them. And then the refusal to use is pretty simple. They refuse or reject whatever you are presenting to them to use. Fear of rejection, as we just saw, is pretty widespread. It's not just, oh, that girl rejected me. It's not just, oh, I got rejected from the job or I didn't get the job. It's very widespread. And it affects all of us. It's instilled in us from the earliest moments of our history. And interestingly enough, it's distinctly human. Sure, there may be some animals that fear rejection by others of their species, but I would bet that if they do, it's based on survival. You know, I don't want to be rejected from the pack because I, if I'm not with the pack, I might not get a meal tonight, I might be in danger, I don't have protection in numbers, etc., etc. With humans, though, the fear of rejection doesn't come all the time from danger. It's something inside of us that fears not being accepted, being rejected. And what's interesting is this comes from the very dawn of man. So we're going to turn to Genesis today. I think, uh, oh no, we didn't get the slide up. We were having technical difficulties this morning. Guys, I'm going to have to ask you to open your Bibles. I'm sorry. Uh, Let's turn to Genesis 3. Um, And we're going to read verses 1 through 13. You guys have heard this one before. So Genesis 3 starts, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Oh, we do have the slides. How nice. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then God goes on to curse everybody involved with this whole thing. But what's interesting here is the sequence of events. Our very first 
sin was rejection of God's authority. I fully believe that all of these words are ordered in a very, very specific way to deliver a very, very specific message. And when Satan comes to Eve and says, did God say that you can't eat of any of the trees? And she goes, no. He pointed at these two specifically. What that says to me is that for some reason, God wanted us to know that it's not just because it's a tree. It's not just that the fruits of the garden were bad. It was that these two trees specifically weren't allowed by God. Eve even says, you know, she sees that the fruit is good. The fruit isn't bad. The tree isn't bad. It says it's good to eat. It's God's authority telling them not to that makes it wrong. And so our first sin was rejection of God's plan for us, of God's authority. And so, as consequence of that first, they realized that they were naked, and when they heard God, they hid. Why? For shame. Shame is arguably the precursor to rejection. If we feel ashamed of something, we try to hide it because we don't want our badness to be on display. Why don't we want our badness to be on display? Because we're hardwired to know that that's what gets rejected. So our first sin is rejection of God's authority. And once we had knowledge of good and evil, our first fear was rejection because we were indecent. And so, to cap it all off, of course, how else would God punish man but to reject his presence? Because it doesn't say after the curses that God puts on the serpent and woman and man that he then punished them with really just a whole lot of pain for like a month, and then they were good to go. They were still in the garden together. No. These curses that were put on us while pretty bad, I would argue were not the worst thing done that day. I would argue that the most supreme punishment that was handed down to us was being rejected from God's presence. Being rejected from walking with God in the cool of the day. Being rejected from conversation with him in our daily lives. So we see here a very, very human story where at every step of the way, rejection affected our actions and eventually was God's action. This fear is so strong in us because rejection itself violates our purpose. Our initial purpose was to be with God to be in oneness with God, to be in communion with God. And then even God said, it's not good for man to be alone. God had a man and spent time with him. The Lord of Lords, the Lord of all things, spent time with him and still said, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs others like him. So our second purpose 
after living with God and following his commands, was to live with others in community and to glorify God together, to keep each other safe, to keep each other well and loved. Then on the opposite end of the spectrum, in studying theology and all this kind of stuff, um, I've read lots on what people think of the afterlife. You know, it's always interesting to see what people think about things they really can't know anything about. And I've heard tons and tons of descriptions of what hell may be. You know, it's a, a red fiery cave under the ground and a little guy with horns pokes you all day. It's, you know, maybe it's Dante's Inferno. It's the seven circles and all this flowery language about agony and all that kind of scary stuff. The most chilling description of hell that I have ever heard, hands down, it's that it's completely formless, meaningless. The only thing you can say for sure about it is that it is completely absent of God. Complete, total, final rejection. I don't know about you guys, but that horrifies me. The amount of times a day that I go through something so minor and don't want to deal with it, and I'm just like, God, can you just like, just like fix this, please? I don't want to deal with it anymore. The idea that that would be meaningless, that any prayer, any desire, that the Lord who's known me since I was not even a thought, since the dawn of time this God has known me, and that there could be a moment where he completely rejects me, us. That's a primal fear that is distinctly human. And so we see something very interesting. You know, it's, it's easy when I, when I first started preparing for this, and pastor told me that I was gonna be talking about fear of rejection. It's really easy for me to think straight to the mundane, you know, like the rejection from a job or rejection by, uh, for me, a girl or, you know, whoever. But that's not the root of the problem. Those are symptoms. Those are actual rejections. But what I wanna figure out is why I fear rejection. Because we're talking about not having a spirit of fear. And if all I know is what I'm fearing, and I don't know why I fear it, then I can't really get to the bottom of it. If I start the other way, though, and I figure out why I fear rejection so much, then it's much easier to solve the root problem, the spirit of fear. Our flesh, by nature rejects God. That's how we work. That's what our flesh does. And so, by nature, God rejects our flesh. I mean, it says in the word that God and sin cannot be in the same body, same place. It's just not how it works. Just the same way dark and light can't be in the same place. These lights on my face, ain't no shadow is gonna be on this unless you put something in front of it. In the same way, God and sin cannot be in the same space. So we try to fill that void with relationships, with maybe being somebody, feeling important. 
Because when God rejects us, and if we're not in the spirit, which God does not reject, then that fear of being alone, of being left, becomes all the more real. For example, I know that I fear being alone because looking back on the past few months, if I didn't have my cat, I'm pretty sure I'd have gone insane. Working from home for like three months straight without seeing anybody when there were like, it, there weren't even days anymore. It was, is my laptop open for work or not? That was the only differentiator during my day. And at the end of that, as I was just alone all the time, I could feel just a sickness in me because it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be separate from others, and it's especially not good for man to be separate from God. You know, I say, you know, tongue-in-cheek that it was my cat that saved me, but obviously a whole bunch of prayer every day didn't, didn't hurt. But I'm not here to give you all depressing stuff because luckily there was one person who knew rejection all too well. But he, unlike us, didn't have that nature that does it automatically. He instead had the nature of God. Spoiler alert, I'm talking about Jesus, if you couldn't figure that out. His nature was one of purity and oneness with God. He was someone with whom God was well pleased. His son, someone in direct connection with the Lord. Yet, he submitted himself to rejection. Acts 4.11 says that he was the stone that the builders rejected, but now he has become the chief cornerstone. Matthew 27.46, uh, Jesus on the cross cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, I've read about that verse. What did Jesus mean? Why have you forsaken me? Does God truly forsake any of us? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it was Watchman Nee, don't quote me on this, but I think it was Watchman Nee in his book, A Normal Christian Life, where he said, in this moment, this one instant, as Jesus took on the sin of all man for all eternity, that truth that we talked about ring true that God and sin cannot be in the same place. And in that moment on the cross, for the first time in his entire existence, Jesus was completely separated from the Lord. And in his single most human moment, when he became the most like us, yes, he was a man, but he had a little bit of a leg up on us. I'm going to be honest with you. But he had a direct line up to the big guy. But in his most human moment, when that line was cut, did he cry out in pain? Did he go, ah, this hurts, and then die? No, he said, God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, my God, why have you rejected me? 
in his most human moment, Jesus showed us that our rejection is nothing because he, holy and blameless, bared the ultimate rejection so that now ours is moot. The veil was torn and now we could go before God again without being rejected. Instead of sinning and paying the price like we did, like Adam did, Jesus paid the price without first sinning. And so God had to balance the scales. It all comes full circle. Our sin was rejection of God's authority. So the same thing was our punishment. Jesus, without first rejecting God, endured that punishment and much more. And so God balanced the scales. The veil was torn and now we no longer have to be rejected in God's presence. I don't know about you, but that's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> that throughout the entire line of our story, you know, a lot of times you hear people comparing Adam and Jesus. They mirror each other, except one just didn't go over so well and the other did. But by now you're probably thinking, is this, this kid just gonna spit philosophy at us for half an hour and then let us go? No, I do have uh, some actual real life applications for this. But what we've done so far is establish the why. At the beginning I talked about how we can talk about what we fear all day, but unless we know why we fear it, it's kind of hard to really fix it. So why do I fear rejection? Why do I fear being rejected by others, being rejected for a job? Why do I fear all of these things? Because rejection violates our spiritual nature, our nature to be in community, our nature to be with others, our nature to be with God. So now, let's say you fear rejection. I mean, shoot, let's say I fear rejection. I know that happens a lot. I wanna give you guys three steps that you can take to slow down, assess the situation, and probably come out the other side a little stronger. The first step is to honestly analyze the possible rejection. If you guys are taking notes, these are the three things you might wanna write down. I'm not much of a note taker myself, so when I put these things together, I'm not thinking of taking notes. So if you are a note taker, I'm very sorry, but I do not do what pastor does and have points for everything. But here you go. Number one, analyze the possible rejection. The first question you want to ask is, what did I want? You know, if I did X, Y, and Z, and I wasn't rejected, what would be the end result? Maybe I get a job, wind up in a relationship, again, romantic or otherwise. I get acceptance from a group of people. It's important to figure this out because once we know the destination, it's easier to plan the journey. Imagine that. Once you know where you're going, it's easier to know how to get there. If you know what the end goal is and you know what you fear losing, then it can put that fear of rejection into a more manageable format. 
The second part of this, of analyzing the possible rejection, is figuring out or, you know, knowing who you're asking. Possible employer, possible friend, significant other, possible group. The important thing to realize here is that whoever it is, they have a certain amount of power. And that certain amount is directly proportional to how much you fear them not giving you what you want. Which sounds very selfish and human, but I mean, that's for the sake of the example. When I fear rejection by someone, I give them power over my actions. It's plain and simple. If I fear rejection from a job, like if I'm going into a job interview and the person I'm interviewing with is scary and gruff and I really fear that they might, might not give me the job, I'm probably gonna act differently. I'm gonna change the way I look at them. I'm gonna change the way I speak to them. I might dress a little nicer. It's giving them power over my actions. And then the third thing, or the third part here, is what happens if you are rejected? No job, no relationships slash friends, no circle of people around you. The important part here is that the fear of rejection paralyzes and changes us. And let's say it gets bad enough that maybe I'm thinking about applying for a job. But it's a complicated job. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it. Maybe I should just, maybe I'll wait. I can go back to school at some point anyway, go finish my degree, et cetera, et cetera. And so you don't try. And what was before a possible rejection is now a certainty of the same result. Because think about it. If I go into a job interview and I fear rejection, I might get rejected. If I let that fear overtake me and say, I'll wait, it's 100% certain I'm not getting that job. If I fear rejection when I want to introduce myself to somebody and make a new friend, but I still do it, there's a chance. There's a chance to look at me and go, this big, pale, hairy dude, no, 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 thanks. But if I let that fear of rejection control me to a certain extent, then there's no possible way someone's gonna wanna talk to me if I don't go first talk to them. It paralyzes us. So we've analyzed the possible rejection. We've looked at the what, the who, the now. So if you have that fear, the second step is to bolster your spirit. This is where we'll link back to that first thing I talked about with the two different phrasings. Bolstering our own spirit. You know, God says that he gives us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And in the word, it says that God's willing to give if we ask. So we have to come to God intentionally asking, but what we ask for matters. For example, when I uh, was trying to transition into a full-time job at where I work now, um, I would be praying 
And then if I would call my mom and ask her to pray, which by the way, if you ever are scared of the Lord's will, don't ask my mom to pray for you. That woman will call down fire from heaven every single day until the Lord's purpose is done. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, but she would go before God and say, Lord, we want Sam to get this job, but your will be done. If that's not your will, don't give it to him. Period. End of story. But that bolsters your spirit. Because as long as you are aligning yourself with God's will, he gives you a spirit of power, love, and self-control. It doesn't say a condition after that. It's not you have a spirit of power, love, and self-control if you don't get rejected. He says he just gives you that spirit so that no matter what happens, you can take it in stride. We seek God's direction also in his word. You know, having studied the word, it's, you know, it says in here that this does not return void, ever. You could open this thing and read a single paragraph and it won't be pointless. I don't know what the point is, but God does. It never returns void. And a lot of times, if I'm struggling with something or you know, really, really worried about something, if I don't go straight here, and I start praying, and I'll say, you know, Lord, she's really pretty. I'd really love to get to know her a little better. The first thing I hear in my head is a Bible verse about seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. No, 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 no. It's like, really, dude? Really? I'm trying to, I don't want to think about that. But this comes back every time because his direction's in here. He gave us a big old manual for just about how to ask for things. And then the final one is speaking to those close to you, speaking to those you trust, reinforcing that community, finding people around you who you know trust the Lord and worship God, and going to them and asking their opinion. That bolsters your spirit. If I go to somebody and say, man, I'm worried. I'm just worried that, I don't know, maybe I won't get the promotion I want. Maybe I really need the money to pay for X, Y, and Z. I'm really, really worried. Then I go to Jason and say, Man, what, 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 what do I do? Help. I don't know what he's going to say. He might pray for me. He might tell me to read something. He might recommend a, a book or anything like that. But that bolsters my spirit. Because like we found out, it's not good for man to be alone. We're not meant to do this thing on our own. I really try my hardest sometimes, but it never really works out that well. So that's how we bolster our own spirit. But there's one last point, and that comes from the second phrasing of that Hallmark verse, and that's to lean on the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 through 27 it says, likewise, the Spirit, capital S, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to fill in the gaps and eventually probably fill in everything else from where that second step didn't go right. When we bolster our spirit by reading or by praying, sometimes it just isn't enough. Most of the time it isn't enough, to be honest with you. And in those situations, when I don't feel adequate, when I still have a spirit of fear, when I read and read and read and pray and pray and pray, and I get to the end and I'm like, dude, I am still freaking out. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in and in words that I can't understand or speak, intercedes on my behalf with God. The rejection is of our flesh. The acceptance is of our spirit when it's aligned with God. And when our spirit isn't aligned with God, our job is not to realign it because we can't do that. When our job, or when our spirit is not aligned with God, our job is to shut up and say, Holy Spirit, just intercede for me for a little bit. And it's so interesting when you're in prayer and you lose the words to speak and you just kind of sit, you just kind of feel that that's something in the room. You know, I, I, uh, I went to the beach Friday and yesterday. And personally for me, I mean, I went with some friends, but personally for me, I went to be by myself. To go out onto the beach, I went out at like 6.30 in the morning before sunup. I sat down on the wet sand. I didn't bring a towel because I forgot one and I wasn't planning on getting in the water anyway. I sat myself down on the beach and I said, hey God, what you got? And I just sat there, listened to the waves, the wind. You know, we sang a song a couple weeks ago. One of the lines of the song is, let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and wind still know his name. And as I was sitting out there on the beach in complete silence, that lyric came to my brain. And I was sitting there like, what, is, what does that mean? And I realized these waves, this wind, it's not here for me. It's always here. It's always like this. Whether there are people on this beach or not, these waves and wind sing his eternal praise constantly. Our purpose is to be in community with other people, with God. And that fear of rejection, that very, very real fear stems from our own nature. Because if you really get to the bottom of it, what we fear is ourselves. Personally, I fear that one day I might say, I don't want to do this anymore. And that just by being whoever I am by myself, 
I disqualify myself from God's presence. That's scary. It is. And in a more literal sense, in a more real world sense, when I go into a new place, and my inclination, me personally, Sam, my inclination is to go stand in the corner and stare at my phone and just force myself to be lonely because I am horribly scared of rejection, personally. Like it's a problem of mine. And in new places, I'll just go isolate myself and completely disqualify myself. I do that exact thing. I turn the possibility of rejection into certain loneliness. But, but, the word says we're not given a spirit of fear, of rejection, of failure, of any one of the other messages we're going to have in this series. We're given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. You guys want to stand with me? We're wrapping up here. Power to overcome the fear that we have. Love to realize that just like I'm scared of rejection, everybody else is. You know, the word says that love understands, love bears all things. If I truly love each and every one of you, then I'm going to try to see the human parts of you too. And maybe I'll see that I'm not the only person who fears rejection in that manner. And then finally, it says a spirit of self-control. We can have self-control when we understand the why. One of my favorite phrases <laughs> comes from The Matrix, the movie, is know thyself know yourself intimately really know who you are know your motivations know your whys because when you know the why you can do something about it when all you know is the what you're kind of just fumbling around in the dark but when you know the why then you can exercise self-control so for me self-control might be I have this horrible fear this anxiety of social interactions but I'm going to take every thought captive and in self-control, put myself out there, talk to some people, make some friends, you know, pray with somebody. I don't know where you guys are all at. Uh, I was really excited to, to talk about this topic because it's so real and it's so foundational to who we are to fear rejection, to fear not being accepted, to fear being alone. And so this morning, I'm not going to ask you guys to do anything fancy, but if what you fear is rejection, then know this. Our spirits do not have to be fearful. There's a God who gave us everything we need to be confident, to have a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And in the moments where that doesn't feel possible, well, we don't have to rely on our own spirit because there's another one who's way cooler than ours who is always powerful, loving, and an exercising of self-control. Bow your heads with me, guys. Lord, we know that no matter what we do, 
who we are, what we think, that your son made it so that we do not have to be rejected any longer. Lord, at the dawn of all things, in our first sin, we rejected your authority, and so in kind, you rejected our presence, our company. But luckily, Lord, the barrier that was put up between man and God on that very day is no more. It never will be again. We thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. For the sacrifice of Jesus to make us able to come before you and be accepted, not rejected. In every part of our lives when it's with people, whether it's coming to you in worship, God, we know that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we really are coming into your kingdom and your throne room when we worship because you no longer reject us for who we are. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. For a rainy day, God. It's a beautiful day because this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. We thank you so much for your provision on us this morning. And I just pray that this week, this month, Lord, and for the rest of our lives that we would know that our spirit is not one of fear because you have given us the tools we need to have a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. In Jesus' holy, righteous, mighty, everlasting, 